I'm Lizanne Flynn. I'm a master healer who works with all earthlings to reunite them within themselves and with each other, regardless of the dimension they're currently in. Meaning, I'm a medium as well as an animal communicator, medical intuitive, and channel for all beings. I use the tools of shamanic journeying and soul retrieval to support animals and humans as they heal from past trauma. I'm certified as a Reiki master teacher and as a canine massage therapist. This is the Animals Eye View podcast. I honestly didn't plan on doing a part two to post-adoption, and as I got to the end of last week's podcast, I realized that there was more information that the animals wanted me to share, and I thought that I could expand and deepen information for all y'all about tools that are available to you and maybe a good place of being as you and your companion animal get used to each other, as your family and your household, even if it's just you, get used to each other. There was just more information. So I thought, let's do part two of the podcast. And this part is all about accommodating and modifying. And I think probably I might even put before that accommodate and modify, which is notice, then accommodate and modify. And we'll get to that in just a second. And these three things, probably the notice, accommodate and modify, require a releasing of expectations. That's, of course, the thing that trips us up all of the time on the part of you, the being in human experience, and instead replacing it with an embrace of what's being gifted to you instead by your new animal companion, even if you're looking at the gift, (laughs) kind of like the stereotypical mouse on you know, you're welcome out outside. Wow, did I ask for that? I don't think so. <laughs> there there really is a way to look at these things, I think, from a neutral perspective that actually, oh, so good for both you as well as for the animal. And of course, sometimes what's being given to us by the animal will likely be in our highest and best good. And, of course, that adds the caveat of that we might not want what's in our highest and best good, that, you know, pesky duality curses on planet Earth right now. Because human experience being what it is, it's filled with all kinds of belief systems and, most importantly, illusions. Animals don't have belief systems and they don't have illusions. They just kind of operate within the parameters of the planet. And the illusions, of course, are sometimes coming in, not only in our personal lives, at work, etc., but of how to be in our own experience, much less be guardian and steward for other beings and animal experience on the planet. These, these belief systems 
I don't know, probably the anthropomorphism that we do with animals, giving them our attributes while not intending to. We also, at the same time, tend to objectify them. We call people, oh, you're such a rat, you're such a snake. And and so we we set apart our shade, our shadow, from who we are, and we kind of plug in animals and their physical attributes as in a, in a way to denigrate them. That's just a tiny example of belief systems that can get in the way. And at the bottom line, it's a really wonderful relationship that we can have with them if we just get out of our way <laughs> and theirs. And I will probably say this over and over again. And if you ever were in one of my webinars or perhaps an event that I hold, I will say, what is it that I always say? And hopefully you would answer back, follow their lead. Because it's true. They have this remarkable ability to mirror back to us what is in our highest and best good and theirs. And as I've often said, another statement that you might yell back to me, just like looking in a mirror on a bad hair day, we're not always open to seeing how our own intentions and behaviors affect them. And our own intentions and behaviors certainly most of them unconsciously and unintentionally pull them out of what is a healthy energy space for them and over into whatever dysfunctional space we've got going on. And I want to be really clear, this is not about blaming guardian. And at the same time, this is about stepping into the space where nothing happens in a vacuum, meaning with any being in your life, you are co-creating that energy space, either physically, mentally, or emotionally with that other being in animal or human experience. That's just how this works. We oftentimes, at least in our human experience, put on other beings, oh, well, you always do this, and so I have to do that. We always have choices about how to respond, whatever is coming in to our own field of energy. And especially with animals, we, again, tend to have that reaction of, well, it's their behavior. They're doing something that I don't like, and it doesn't have anything to do with me. Au contraire. Another gift that animals can give to us when we cohabitate together, as we've been talking about, is humility. They're so good at narking on themselves and fessing up to whatever isn't working for them at the time. And despite what we may think when we observe their behavior, they they honestly just don't misbehave for no reason. And again, the misbehave for no reason... <laughs> That would be the human way, right, of looking at that and going, oh, well, you're misbehaving. You know that I don't like that, and you're doing that thing again. There's always, always, always a purpose for whatever action they undertake. Most of the time in their natural state, the purpose, frankly, is one of seeking joy and seeking to harmonize with the environment around them. And where they can get a bit stuck is when the environment around them isn't compatible with their natural state. And so they look to the being in charge of that environment with them, which is 
99% of the time human, a being in human experience. Sometimes it's another animal, like in a dog park or another companion animal in the family, and they will most often find a way to suss out the incompatibility with the other animal and reset it if possible. Because we aren't as conversant in the master language of energy, which is, of course, what they use, and we aren't able to telepathically commune with them, as all other species do, they look to the next best thing, their behavior, the external indicators. They are very aware that we are very aware of how they act because we place a great deal of emphasis on observation and using our external five senses versus the internal ones, i.e. the telepathic communication. And in the way sometimes of beings in human experience pointing a finger at what they don't like, there are always more fingers pointing back at ourselves that we conveniently ignore. That's the humility part. We look at the behavior and we think, oh, that so doesn't work for me. So I have to, air quotes, fix that. So we think it's just like fixing a machine that we can make whatever is not working for us to go away. We perceive, and not necessarily in a, in a wrong way, that there's this thing, the behavior that we have to fix. And because it doesn't necessarily have the three-dimensional moving parts like a machine does, that's where we kind of tend to get a bit stuck. Because energy simply doesn't work that way. It moves constantly and is always being co-created moment to moment to moment between beings of any experience in one enclosed space, say like a home or an office or even a dog park, a doggy daycare. Especially in these latter two, if we're paying attention to the behavior of the dogs present and not chatting up the human next to us or texting on our phone, (laughs) it's so important to be present with them and to watch and learn. They're magnificent (laughs) at showing us how to work with energy as an actual tangible environment for a relationship. And so when they're releasing layers post-adoption that no longer serve them, as we talked about in last week's podcast, there likely might be behavior that comes to the surface with which they need your help and which may look to you like something that needs to be fixed because it's never the good behavior, right? (laughs) But speaking of good behavior, just for a second, when you notice them doing something right, I invite you, encourage you, mandate that you praise, 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 treat, 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 treat several times, especially if they're food motivated. I'm such a fan of positive reinforcement for all beings of all experiences, animal and human. It just works better. Your role is to hold space for them as they're releasing and to make sure that the boundaries are consistent and firm. I I do think it's sometimes a challenge that we are both madly in love with them, and yet we also have to be neutral and firm when they press up against these boundaries and not let them barrel through the boundaries. They press up against the boundaries because they have to know in this very new space to them, your home, 
whether those boundaries are made of concrete or cardboard. The concrete kind will support them and help them to feel secure. The cardboard kind, unfortunately, can be torn apart. If it gets wet, it, it tends to be shredded. So much better to have the ones that are concrete. And as you notice new behavior, your role is to also be neutral about that behavior. I'll insert here ever so briefly, quick little story about my fabulous hunter, who I think I might have mentioned as having some issues with rodent granulomas, which are just basically likely immune system responses to something in the environment. Uh, his got infected, became an ulcer, et cetera, et cetera. In getting him to the vet, it's a real struggle. I recognize that what was coming to the surface is deeper and deeper levels of what is kind of an extra dose of his feral instinct. In contrast, Lil D, the female tuxedo that I adopted at the same time as Hunter, because they were bonded together, she doesn't have that. I can pick her up and put her in a carrier without any problems. I can clip her nails without any problems. Hunter is an entirely different, <laughs> fabulous being. And so the more that I can modify my behavior to be in the same place where he is and think of ways to, rather than fight against that feral instinct, to embrace it and to create a big enough space to where his immune system doesn't get a double whammy of the sympathetic nervous system activating it, because of course, that's the thing that's likely going to make the rodent granulomas worse. And so there, there are so many things that as a guardian, you can add or subtract to their environment to help them support and adjust. Again, it's so important to be neutral and not judge either them or you during this process. And I'll be really <laughs> honest with you. I felt challenged with Hunter. I None of the cats that I've had before had this kind of response. And so obviously this is where my highest and best good, Hunter's highest and best good, were together for a reason. There's lots of different awarenesses coming up and there's lots of ways that I can hold space for that in a neutral way. And so this, this list that's coming up, I'll just kind of go through and kind of tick off what I usually recommend to my clients when they're helping their own companion animals adjust. And this isn't a one-size-fits-all. This is definitely about kind of mixing and matching. And again, putting, putting pieces together, watching the energy of it, decide what fits and decide what doesn't fit you're in charge. It's so important that you be confident and comfortable during this process. I do think training is key. I do think training never ends. I do think that even, for instance, you're helping your animal companion, as one of my clients is currently, adjust to a new home. Running them through their paces on a training exercise, sit, stay down, whatever those are for you, I often talk about putting up a little, if there's room, mini agility course in the backyard, really and truly even five to 10 minutes of you asking them 
and offering to them a way to respond to you positively and redirecting them in a neutral way if they're not responding positively to you is such a good way to kind of further cement that bond and kind of help them to feel more grounded. Especially if you have a canine companion that you don't know a lot about their history of training, I really do think that investing in maybe a couple of private sessions just to kind of get a feel for where this animal has been is just really, really wonderful information for you to have going forward. I'm also a big fan of music. It's been clinically proven that in particular classical music of a certain kind, not anything that's too much with the strings and <laughs> the the wood instruments and the cymbals and all that kind of stuff, but that classical music it has been clinically proven to lower the stress level, uh, particularly in dogs in shelter situations. There will be a link uh, through a dog's ear. You can get through Spotify that I can put in there. I like through a dog's ear because it's only piano. The woman was trained at Juilliard and she teamed up with a bioacoustic specialist to deconstruct, if you will, classical pieces, Bach, Beethoven, Mozart. And it's only piano and it's only a range of notes that they did their own studies that dogs most often responded positively to. You might find them relaxing as well. (laughs) That's a good thing. Also a big fan of essential oils, please no diffusers. By the time that we think, oh, I should turn that diffuser off, chances are good it's been going for three or four hours. And with their olfactory system being so incredibly sensitive, it doesn't take long at all for that system to become overwhelmed by whatever scent is in their environment. And then it kind of starts to work in reverse. I would invite you to and I'll put a, a link to my friend Francis's website. I've used her products since 2008. Also a big fan of them. I would invite you to get some what we call single note essences. So this would be chamomile, rose. It might be um, frankincense. It might be yarrow. Um, any one of those. You offer them the cap to sniff between um, forming a little circle with your index and your thumb If they really like it and try to lick the cap, you can offer a few drops of that particular oil in your palm for them to lick up. I like starting with the single note essences so that you can kind of get a feel for perhaps underneath what emotional, mental, and or physical issue is kind of trying to work its way to the surface. I would say the same thing about flower essences. Big fan of Box Rescue Remedy. A couple of dropper fulls in the water bowl can just do wonders. And of course, with all of these sorts of things, it's vital that you check with the vet first and just kind of get their go-ahead, let them know what it is that you're doing. But you can see that all these kind of little pieces that we're putting in there together. Some animals might respond to music. Some might respond to the essential oils. Whatever whatever works, kind of mixing and matching, is, is really kind of a good thing for them. Backtracking just a little bit to the training, 
I'm a big fan of harnesses. I think, frankly, kind of no matter whether you have a working breed dog like a husky that is always going to want to pull, <laughs> the harnesses and particularly the ones that have the the D-ring offset to the side because when they start to pull, it automatically <laughs> pulls them around in a circle, which kind of reinforces the redirect away from the thing that they might be starting to get reactive towards. But the harnesses are a way to keep to keep any kind of potential injuries off of the neck. It gives you more control. If you feel confident and comfortable, they will as well. The same thing about muzzles. It could very well be that your particularly canine companion is reactive toward different stimuli. It doesn't really matter what it is. In order for you and them to feel confident and comfortable while you're out taking a walk, if this is what is necessary in the interim until you get to a place where you can counter condition or desensitize them to whatever that stimulus is, I'm a, I, I would advocate for that. It doesn't mean that you'll have, they'll have to wear a muzzle all of the time. But again, the bottom line is helping you to feel confident, helping them to feel confident, helping both of you to feel confident together so that we have less reaction on either parts of a stimulation that appears to be fearful or perhaps evokes a past uh, physical, mental, or emotional pain. Remember, we're still kind of in the adjustment period. And so I would invite you not to make any judgments about the muzzles. Perhaps you maybe even have to go to an anti-anxiety med for this kind of adjustment period. It doesn't mean that anything is forever. Because the bottom line is, the only constant is change. Heraclitus, ancient philosopher, that was his statement, And the more you see this new family member as a light being whose awarenesses match up perfectly with yours, the more you can just hold space, relax, and let the mostly good times roll. At least that's how the animals see it. Thanks for listening today. Leave a review if you're so inspired and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. I offer all new clients a free 15-minute consultation. Reach out if you think I can be of service via www.lazanflynn.com. Come and find me on social media, Facebook, Twitterverse, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I invite you to sign up for my quarterly newsletter on my website, where I also post notices for upcoming events such as new classes and online psychic fairs. This has been the Animal's Eye View podcast, and I'm Lizanne Flynn. I'll see you next time. Thank you.